Well, good morning, church. So glad you guys are here. My name is Sean, and uh, thankful for uh, the fact that you guys are able to tune in and watch church online. Um, it's back to school uh, season, and uh, as we head into that season, it's a really busy time uh, here in our community. Uh, so I just ask you to keep the kids and families uh, that have sent their kids back to school in prayer as they're doing that over the next couple weeks um, and uh, making that transition into what is likely the most normal school year we've had in the last three or four. So uh, we're really looking forward to many of the activities for our families and just keep them in your prayers as they enter into this season. Uh, and as we do, it's a really busy season here at church too. Um, just want to encourage you guys to get involved and get plugged in as you can. Uh, a few things coming up that I want to make you guys aware of. Uh, first, it's um, student kickoff for all of our middle school students. So that's sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And they're kicking off their year uh, on August 30th. Um, so uh, new time, it's uh, 7 to 8.30 on August 30th. Uh, and then our high school students will kick off on Wednesday, August 31st, and that'll be from uh, 7 to 9 p.m. Both of those are here at church. Uh, and whether your kid has been here in the past or this is their first year, they have to register online on our website. So if you could visit our youth website, register your kids online, and join us for uh, our uh, fall kickoff for student ministries, uh, we would love to have your kids and invite them here to the church and get them plugged in here at ABC. They're going to have games, um, lots of uh, fun things to do. Uh, we'll outline what's going on for the year and get your kids plugged in in a big way here at ABC. And next up, and continuing in the same vein in terms of back to school, we're having Back to Church Sunday here uh, at ABC. Uh, for those that have maybe uh, taken a few weeks off for the summer or been sporadic in their attendance here at ABC, we just invite you to come back uh, on uh, Sunday, August 28th. That's next Sunday, August 28th. Uh, many of our ministries and our groups that we're starting are going to be here on campus. Uh, we invite you guys to get plugged in. There's something for everybody, uh, and each one of our ministries will be out there represented. So you get a chance to meet with folks, whether it's men's ministry, women's ministry, adult ministry, groups, all those things will be available to talk through some of our leaders with and get plugged in. So we hope you guys will join us for that. We'll have some snacks and food uh, and just an opportunity to gather as a community and a church. Uh, again, that's Sunday, uh, August 28th, right here at church after all three services. And last up, um, men, we have a men's breakfast coming up here at church uh, again next Saturday, August 27th at 7 a.m. Uh, cool opportunity to hear from one of our elders, Jeff Zippy. Uh, Jeff is a, an educator, he's a teacher, he's a coach, and, and, and bottom line, he's an amazing man to, to, to share the gospel. He's going to be talking on... Um, cross-generational connection, uh, how grandfathers and fathers and kids all stay connected. And I think for us men, uh, it's a great example. Jeff has done that well in his own life. He's going to share how uh, we can get plugged in and do that. Uh, and it's ultimately, it's just an opportunity to get together with a bunch of men and get connected here at ABC. So I'd invite you guys to join us. Uh, again, that's Saturday, August 27th at 7 a.m. Um, be here for a great meal, uh, a challenging message, and just a great time to get together as a group here at church. So hope you guys have a great Sunday. Thank you guys for being here. Well, welcome to ABC. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, welcome back from summer too. Uh, many of you have kids that are starting school and jumping into the fall schedule here. Uh, man, it's a hectic uh, season for a lot of us right now. And I'm really glad you're here. Uh, if you're watching from home, maybe you're still traveling on the road. Um, glad that you're able to tune in. Uh, we have just two more weeks of this particular section of Matthew. We've gone through uh, five, six, and seven, um, which is in the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. And then we transition to chapter eight. 
And uh, speaking of that, we're, we're framing this next section in chapter 8, the Great Commission, because Jesus starts to teach about his coming kingdom and the way that his kingdom is going to grow and expand and reach out from um, this kind of hub. And as I was thinking about that and as we're looking forward to that, um, it makes me think of the opportunity we've had as a church to be part of his Great Commission work and to be a part of the church planting efforts that are happening both here and abroad. And um, one of those things that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, really a couple of months, is the Freedom Initiative Church Plant in Kansas City. And I am so thrilled, you guys, to tell you that that church service um, successfully launched last Sunday. Um, They had uh, close to 60 people show up to have church in the new building uh, down there in the Quindaro district of Kansas City. Pastor Abe, um, the co-pastor there, was preaching, and Pastor Will was leading communion, and then the founding pastor, Matt Thomas of Freedom Initiative, um, was there to host and facilitate. And um, our own Gerald Haugen, along with uh, Dwayne McCroy, were able to be there. They were doing um, baseboards and drywall and paint up until Saturday night, getting that building ready, and it was, in fact, open and ready for business Sunday morning. Um, And so there is a church Um, that has been born in Kansas City, and we have the opportunity to partner with them. Um, I had mentioned that we were trying to help raise some funds um, to get them across the finish line. And again, I'm just so overwhelmed and thankful for our church and the way that you all respond to those kind of needs. We had uh, hoped we could raise $25,000 in order to help them with all the finishing touches of that building. Um, And in fact, we were able to raise $35,000. We surpassed our goal by $10,000. And I am so overjoyed for us as a church to be able to partner with them, to invest in them, and for us to really celebrate the win of planting that church. So thank you for those of you who contributed. Thank you for those who have been praying for that church. Um, We have an opportunity in just a couple months. We're going to bring Matt and Will out from Freedom Initiative in October. They're going to get to give you a good report, show you some pictures, and we'll hear another update on how that church plan is coming. So stay tuned for more information on that. Um, Really, really exciting. Today we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 7. And again, like I said, there's just two passages left here in chapter 7 as Jesus finishes up the Sermon on the Mount. Um, He's starting to bring some conclusive thought. And uh, this morning what he says is, is sort of chilling when you think about it. In chapter 7, verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And Jesus, for the very first time in the Bible, introduces this concept of sheep and wolves. Whether you like it or not, uh, Jesus is comparing you, those who are on this narrow gate path, this way that leads to life, he's comparing you to sheep, a vulnerable, docile, gullible, herd mentality sheep. And there are ravenous wolves on this path disguised as sheep. Now, this isn't a trick. When you first read it, you go, well, what's the deal? In fact, later on chapter 10, Jesus is going to say, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves. And it feels like a trap almost. Like, why would you do that, Jesus? But no, it's not a trick. He's simply saying you are on this hard road, narrow path towards eternal life. And on the path, you're going to encounter people that look like sheep, but in fact, they are wolves. They are wolves in sheep's clothing is the way he says it. And so he's warning us. It's not a test. It's a warning. It's to say, watch out. Look out ahead. There's a wolf on the path. 
And it's really helpful, and I want to process through what he's getting at here and how we can learn from the words of Jesus this morning. Last summer, uh, I had the opportunity to go up to Glacier National Park and do a little solo trip. Um, I had planned to ride a 100-mile loop in the backcountry of the national park up there, um, which is, if you've been to Glacier, it's gorgeous and amazing and beautiful. But here's what happened. Two weeks before I was to go, I got news. I read an article um, that a woman had tragically been killed by a grizzly bear right on the Continental Divide Trail where I had planned to ride the same kind of area. And so I had a decision to make. I'm processing through that going, my goodness, this seems like a dangerous area. I'm going alone. Um, really wanted to think through that. And um, so through I kind of processed through it and, and realized, no, I, I think I should still go. I think that um, I just need to be cautious. I just need to be careful. And so I started reading up on grizzly bears. I want to know what, what do grizzly bears behave like? What do they look like compared to other bears? And how, do you, how can you tell with, when a grizzly's been there? What's the tracks look like? And uh, how do you prepare for encountering a grizzly bear? I learned some things that many of you know, um, like you're not supposed to cook where you're going to sleep. And so I didn't. I ate a couple miles away from where I had planned to sleep. And you're not supposed to also prepare food in the clothes that you plan to sleep in. There's a lot of little tricks and tools like that that I learned um, because there was a danger of grizzly bears. I'm excited to say, uh, spoiler alert, I did not see a grizzly bear, unfortunately. Uh, I did make the loop and I did come back all in one piece, um, but with proper preparation. And here's what I see Jesus doing for us here this morning. I I think he's effectively saying, there's a bear ahead. There's a wolf ahead. Look out. Prepare well. Watch. Pay attention. Stay sober. Stay alert. Make sure you research what they look like because it might be hard to tell the difference between a sheep and a wolf. And so what we can do this morning, the best thing for us, I think, church, is to listen, to lean in intently, to take heed this morning, church, because there's a wolf ahead. And we want to know how to determine the difference between a wolf and a sheep. What do they look like? What's the evidence of a wolf being present? What's their behavior and how do we protect ourselves? So turn with me, if you've got your Bible, to Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. And if you don't, we'll put the text on the screen. But let me pray before I read. Heavenly Father, we come before you humble because we know, Lord, that we have the ability to come to a text like this and to blow past it and to simply say, uh, this, this doesn't apply to me. And I, I pray that would not be the case this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes, sharpen our thinking, and tune our ears, Lord, as we read your word so that we can walk away from this better equipped to encounter the world we live in. In your name I pray, amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. We're going to get to the second half of the passage. He continues on, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But just by way of reminder, as we pause here for a second, Jesus is just finishing this teaching on the narrow gate. 
the harder way, the path that leads to life. Jake taught us through that last week um, and just did a fantastic job of bringing us to the culmination of we have to make a decision. Are we going to choose the narrow path, the narrow gate, the harder path, the way that leads to life? Or are we going to choose the wide, default, easy road where there's lots of crowds and lots of people? And so then Jesus comes to this false prophet teaching where he talks about sheep and wolves. And I don't think it's coincidental that he moves quickly from the narrow gate teaching to the sheep and wolves teaching. Because I think what he's saying is that on the path, on the narrow road, you will encounter people who look like narrow path people. They sound like narrow path sheep. They sound like the followers of Jesus and yet they'll lure you away to a wider path and easier road. And so you have to take caution. Take heed, Jesus says, of these false prophets that look like sheep, but really they are wolves. The, the word he uses here, false, as he says, false prophets, is uh, defined spurious. I love that word spurious. It just means fake. It's just a false image. In fact, it's the Latin, the Latin root um, is is pseudo. So it's like pseudo prophet, fake prophet, imitation prophet. Of course, prophet being a divinely inspired uh, man or woman of God to communicate his message to his people. These are prophets like John the Baptist in the New Testament case, or certainly Jesus, even Paul, Barnabas, Peter, John, people that spoke with divine inspiration by God, a message of truth to God's people. But the false prophet then is fake, an imitation. Maybe looks like a prophet, maybe sounds like a prophet, uses similar vernacular, but doesn't speak the truth of God. Maybe even has an irresistible, compelling message. And yet he doesn't speak truth. There's a wolf on the path. So how do you spot a wolf? It's almost as if Jesus anticipates our question when he says this. He says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but uh, our inwardly are ravenous wolves. And then it's as if he knows we're going to ask, well, Jesus, what's a wolf? And he says, you'll know them by their fruit. Look at the fruit. That's how you spot a wolf. It's the first point there on your outline. What we're going to do today is just walk through three specific ways we can identify a wolf. The first one's bad fruit. And I would respond to Jesus by saying, what exactly do you mean and by fruit? And Jesus would say, well, what are they producing? What's the result of their life? Look back at the last three chapters of his teaching, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, the upside down kingdom, the servant leadership mentality, the first shall be last. Is the prophet that kind of believer, that kind of narrow gate believer, or are they somehow twisting things for their own gain? Or suspiciously, they end up ahead every time. Elevating themselves rather than elevating Christ. Look at the fruit. Or does the fruit appear self-serving? I appreciate uh, Paul's definition of fruit here in Galatians. He walks through uh, this whole entire list of bad fruit coming from either a false teacher or just someone who would neglect the truth of God in chapter 5. Verse 19, here's what Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says, uh, I'm in the wrong book here. I'm in Ephesians. Sorry, let me find Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. The list just goes on and on. So you get where he's going. He's saying these are the fruits of unrighteousness. These are the fruits of wolves. That's not the fruits of narrow gate Christians, people that follow Jesus. These aren't the fruits of someone who's operating in this beatitude style kingdom. That fruit looks more like love, joy, peace. In fact, that's what Paul writes as he continues in chapter 5. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He lists off these fruits of the Spirit. That's the fruit of a good tree. Fruit of a bad tree is selfishness, debauchery, anger, rage, malice, slander. He goes all through these things to say, look at the fruit and tell me if it's bad or good fruit. That's how you determine a wolf. And you might not notice at first but pay attention to the results of what they're teaching. Pay attention to the fruit of their labor. Do they end up ahead? Does it seem like they're leveraging others rather than sacrificing for others? Beware of false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing. Let's go back to the passage in Matthew chapter 7. Finishing the passage, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These two passages in my mind are, are one and the same. Jesus goes from the discussion on wolves, on the discussion of, about fruit, right into those who say, Lord, Lord. Those who say, look at what I've done. Those who say, look at my life. Look at me, Jesus. Don't I earn favor in the kingdom? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you because Jesus is looking at the fruit. And it's the second way that we can determine a wolf versus a sheep is empty words. For those who would say, Lord, Lord, but really didn't have the obedient fruit to show for it. This word, Lord, Lord, really could be translated more teacher, teacher. It's not the word we use for Lord as attributing honor to God or to Jesus Christ in this sense rabbi or teacher, those who say to him, rabbi, rabbi, teacher, teacher, look what I've done. I've tried to do everything the right way. In fact, I've used your name. Interesting distinction that you could use the name of Jesus and still not have the fruit. That you could try to bank on the name of Jesus. You could call yourself a Christian, but not have spiritual fruit. That You could say, Lord, Lord, Look at what I've done. I've used your name. I've called myself a Christian. I've gone to church, and yet without the fruit, those are just empty words. The wolf's words sound Christian. That's the problem. They may appear truthful at face value. Here's, here's some cultural reasons why I think it's so difficult to distinguish a wolf from a sheep in our day and age in our context. First thing is because they're disguised, right? That's one of the biggest and greatest challenges is that the wolves look like sheep. And so it's hard to distinguish when they're imitating narrow gate mentality, when they're imitating small crowd behavior on the road that leads to life, using the same kind of language, saying, Lord, Lord, or Christian, Christian this, Christian that. And all of a sudden you realize, but there's no fruit. And so it's hard to determine, hard to distinguish who is a sheep and who is a wolf. And so we take caution as we begin to discern that. The second thing is 
biblical illiteracy is more prevalent in our churches in my mind today than maybe it's ever been, that we just simply don't know our Bibles. How could we determine what's fake, what the imposter is, if we don't know the authentic, real thing? If you don't know the truth, you'll never know if the wolf is speaking it or not. And that's a reason why it's really difficult. And the final thing is this idea, this concept of religious syncretism that exists in our world. The, the mentality that says, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just work with each other? The resounding answer is no. And the question I would answer or ask back would be, what does light have to do with darkness? At the end of the day, we can't just all get along for those who believe in lies and those who believe in truth. There is a truth. There's an absolute truth. There is a claim to truth. And that requires that we operate out of an exclusive mentality that Jesus is. This is exactly what we talked about last week. It's a hard reality, but a true reality. The way of Jesus is hard and it's exclusive. And the cultural claim that for us to draw the line on absolute truth is somehow unkind or somehow unchristian is what feels like a, uh, an unfair posture for us to take. And yet it's a wolf-like principle that would say, don't be unkind or unchristian to say that your way is the only way. Let's try to coexist. There is not room for that in God's word. God's word is exclusive. The truth says and is there is one way. And the way is Jesus. And to be honest, it would be a horrific injustice if I allowed for anyone in my life or my world, anyone who hears our teaching at ABC, to go on believing that the wide gate path, the easy road mentality, the crowd direction, will somehow lead to anywhere other than destruction. And so if I don't preach that, if we don't teach that at our church, if we don't study that in God's word, we're doing a horrible injustice to anyone that comes under our teaching. God's way is exclusive. God's word is streamlined to one way, and that way is Jesus. And it's one of the reasons why it becomes so hard to distinguish a wolf, because we can hear people say things like, the unkindness of Christians is what turns me off. Well, let's just be kind about it. Let's use better words. There is a wolf up ahead, and he will lead us astray, and he will lead us to the wide gate, and we need to be cautious and careful. There's this, there's this proverb that uses an adulterer as an analogy, and it talks about the smooth cunning words of this adulterer. And I want to read it because I think it paints a clear picture for the danger we all face in our culture. And please recognize this adulterer, in this case being a woman, is just an analogy. It's just showing the depravity of our society and our culture. Proverbs chapter 7 verse 15 says this, So now I have come out to meet you. This is the adulterer speaking to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves. 
For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. With empty words, smooth language, talk that sounds compelling, that sounds right, that maybe even feels right, we become seduced by the culture that we live in to an ox that's going to slaughter. And ultimately, death is our destruction for those who go the wide path and stray from the narrow gate road that God is calling us to. And so I urge you, learn how to spot the wolves. Learn how to discern that language. Listen carefully to the words of your teachers, of your influencers, your favorite podcast, your pastors, myself included. Examine them. Inquire of them. Search God's word and see if it lines up. You know, one of our primary core values at ABC is that every person at church, every member, every partner in our ministry would become uh, committed to knowing and teaching the Bible, to become biblically literate, to be sound in their doctrinal mind, to know when to spot false teaching. And that's our goal. That's why we teach right through the Bible expositionally. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have... uh, reading plans and group discussions because we want you to know God's word. It's the only thing that's going to help you discern right from wrong. It's the only way for you to know if it's a sheep or a wolf. And so lean in, continue studying, and familiarize yourself with God's word. Finally, in verse 23, Jesus calls these wolves workers of lawlessness. And it's the third and final way to determine a wolf from a sheep. Lawless deeds. See, wolves are driven by their hunger. Just think about it. From, a, from an instinctive standpoint in nature, a wolf is driven by their hunger. Everything they do is in order to feed themselves. Every tactic they play is in an effort to survive. There's this German uh, folktale in the Brothers Grimm collection. It's called The Wolf and Seven Sheep, and it's kind of humorous because the wolf shows up while the mother sheep is out, and he tries to imitate the voice of the mother sheep. Um, So he studies how the mom speaks to her kids, and finally he learns the voice and is able to trick the sheep by speaking just like her, and then they notice that his fur doesn't look like the mother sheep. And so then he goes away and he covers his fur to make it look white so that he can uh, trick their imagery and try to pretend like he's the mother sheep, all in an effort to eat those seven sheep. The whole entire goal is to serve the stomach of the wolf. Motivated by hunger, the wolf is a servant only to his stomach. And his tactic, crafty in his relentless pursuit of satisfying his appetite, he will not stop until he succeeds. John Bloom says, a wolf-like leader preying on the sheep to satisfy his own ungodly appetite. And that's really what it comes down to. If you think about a wolf in sheep's clothing, a desire 
to satisfy an ungodly appetite. Second Timothy chapter three begins to speak of this, and I, I really believe this is a helpful commentary on the Matthew seven passage. As Paul writes to young Timothy chapter three, he talks about these appetites, these principles, these lawless deeds. Chapter three, verse one says this, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And he finishes with this punctuation by saying, avoid these people, they're wolves. They have an insatiable desire for more. They're hungry for more. Sound familiar? Do you think it's possible that the intent of the wolf maybe was motivated more by hunger than malice? Now, I'm not giving anybody a pass. I'm not excusing the behavior of a wolf, but is it possible that they were motivated by hungry more than malice? That some of the people we would dub as false teachers, false prophets, wolves, even in our current society, when you look to teachers that have led others astray, that have created systems or organizations that are abusive, that have leveraged power and position to harm other people, that we would say that person is a wolf, you should have nothing to do with them. Is it possible that they probably didn't wake up one day and think, today I'm going to change from shepherd to wolf? but rather it was this hunger for more. Hunger for influence. Hunger for notoriety. Hunger for materials. Hunger for money. And as they taste blood, they just want more. Their God became their stomach and their hunger led them astray to pursue and crave more power and more influence. And in so doing, they dragged some others away. And that's a tragedy. Can I, I say that not to excuse the behavior of any abusive leader or anybody who's been influential in the church that has become a wolf that has pulled people off of the path, off of this narrow gate mentality. I'm not excusing that behavior. What I'm saying is that there is a hungry wolf deep down inside of every single one of us, driven and motivated by our flesh. And unless we crucify that wolf, unless we kill and die to self, we too run the risk of becoming that wolf. This is how Timothy continues. In verse 10, he says, you, however, turns the corner. And this is what I want to do for you this morning. We identify the wolf. Look at the fruit. Look at the empty words. Look at the unrighteous deeds, the lawless deeds. And, and then identify the fact that there's a bit of a hungry wolf in all of us. And then Paul turns the corner for us and says, you, however, follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim, 
my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, as for you, Atascadero Bible Church, there are those that will drag people away. There are those who will let their stomach become their God, that will give themselves over to destructive behavior, that will lead others astray, that will become wolves in sheep's clothing. But as for you, Paul writes to us this morning, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the truth. That's the corner we're turning together as a church to say, I'm gonna identify the wolf. There's a bear up ahead. There's a wolf on the path. Beware, watch out, identify it, but hold fast to the sacred writings which you knew from your youth so that you can stay the course and crucify that desire in you and continue on in this path of righteousness. It's such a great encouragement that Jesus leaves us with this morning. Stay sober, stay alert, pay close attention, listen to the good shepherd, listen for his voice. There's this uh, really fun uh, kid's book written by Max Licato. I don't know if you guys have read, uh, read those Max Licato children's books to your kids. If not, you got to go look them up. There's such great books. One of them's called You Are Special. Um, it's got the Punchinello story. There's one called Tell Me You The Secrets. That's like a collection. Anyway, I could go on and on. But this book, it's called The Song of the King. And it's a, it's a bit of a fable that he writes a story of a king who's going to select um, a suitor for his daughter. So he's giving the opportunity to three nobles to earn the princess's hand in marriage. And he says, there's going to be a test. And anyone who can pass the test can marry my daughter. And the test is that all three of these men, one of them being the strongest man, one of them being the bravest man, and one of them being uh, the smartest man are given this test. And the test is that they have to navigate this dark and evil forest that's full of crafty creatures called Hopnots. And the Hopnots live in the Hemlock Valley. And the Hemlock Valley is scary. You don't go there. But these three men have to navigate the Hemlock Valley and make it back to the castle. And anyone who makes it back alive can marry the princess. And there's two provisions the king makes. The first is that each of them gets to choose a traveling companion. The second provision is that the king says, I will play my song three times a day so that you can hear your way back to the castle. And he takes out this flute. And there's only two of these flutes, one that the prince has and one that the king has. And the king plays the song and only the prince and only the king know this song. And he plays his song and that's the song that they can listen for to make their way back to the castle through the Hemlock Valley and hopefully defeat the evil hope nots. And so these men take their journey. Soon enough, we get word that the strongest man has been defeated. And then we get word that 
the bravest man's been defeated. And soon enough, the smartest man makes his way out of the Hemlock Valley, scarred and bruised and beaten. And they learn that the tactic of the Hope Knots was to imitate the song of the king. And so as these other men navigated, they got confused. They got disoriented and they strayed away from the path toward the palace because they couldn't distinguish the king's song from the Hope Knots imitation of the king's song. But sure enough, the smartest man makes it through and he comes out alive and he makes it up to the palace and he's asked, how did you navigate the Hemlock Valley? And how did you discern your way through the Hope Knots and their imitation? He said, I brought one companion. I took the prince with me. And anytime I was distracted or confused, I had the prince play the king's song so that I could identify my way back to the palace. I know it's a cheesy kid story, you know, and you kind of get wound up and wrapped up in it. But here's the thing is Jesus speaks the way that our king sings his song in this story. He speaks softly but clearly. And he says, study my voice, know my sound, understand my song, because that will help you navigate this world of hope knots in the Hemlock Valley, where you'll get distracted and you'll see imitators and you'll see people that will want to pull you off course. And so in John chapter 10, Jesus says, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. His sheep know his voice. So we study it, and we know it, and we learn it. It's as if we're playing that song over and over again, just remembering, recalling, this is the sound of the voice of the king to navigate all the imitations I've studied it and I know it. And I know when something's false. I know when someone's imitating it because I've studied his voice. I've listened well. So church, study this book. Learn his vernacular. How does he put words together? What does he care about? What does he emphasize over and over again? Study the words of our Father as we lean in and listen. And then practice listening Literal listening was just so countercultural. I get that. It's so opposite of our world to pause and to silence the world and listen, to truly say, God, would you speak to me? I want to get to know your voice. And trust me when I say, if you take that intentional time, you will learn to hear and discern the voice of God. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me they know my voice and that is my hope because there's a wolf up ahead church and he's going to try to trick you and he's going to try to drag you away and so we need to learn what the true voice is what the truth is both from God's word and by the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us so that we can dismiss the false prophets the false teachers the wolves and sheep's clothing and continue on this narrow path towards righteousness, the one that leads to life. Let me pray. God, condition our hearts, tune our ears to hear and to know and to distinguish your voice. 
Lord, we want to be able to identify the false, the imitations. God, we want to be able to identify those that desire evil for us. Lord, help us to know the truth. And may we apply it. And may we use it as a sifting filter for everything we see and hear in our world. We would put it up against your word. We compare it to the one single truth, the one way, the exclusive path, believing that it will in fact lead us to life. And may we invite others onto that path too and show them how to listen for your voice. Show them how to identify the wolves in the path. So lead us with fruit, God. In your precious name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. It's always a privilege uh, to be with you. Next week, uh, we're going to wrap up this series, and, uh, and then we're continuing in the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 8 on um, September 4th. Um, but next weekend, I just want to remind you, we announced it already before, next weekend is our Back to Church Sunday after school has gotten kicked off and everything else. Um, we just wanted to have a bit of a moment together where we can all circle back up, look at some of the ministries and events that are kicking off, some of the group opportunities. Um, so please come on down to campus, especially if you haven't been there for a while. Um, join us at 8, 9, or 10.45 on campus at ABC next Sunday. And uh, join us for our Back to Church Sunday um, where we're going to have uh, a lot of opportunity to get plugged in and engaged for the fall. Have a great Sunday. Talk to you soon. Bye.